0: Thank you, guys. Good morning, everybody. Amen. It is good to be home. I'm going to ask ushers to come right now, if you guys would, and we'll take our morning offering. As part of our worship, we continue to give because we love the Lord. If you're a guest here today, I don't feel obligated to give, but if this is your church home, I would encourage you to support what God is doing around here. And if you've got a prayer request, that's the time to fill that tab off and drop it in the bucket. Or if you miss the bucket, you can put it in the black boxes on the wall. Well, before I get into my talk today, uh, most of you know that I've been gone for a few weeks, was a couple weeks in Africa, and it's good to be home. Uh, If you missed the explanation as to why we as a church are getting involved as an IPC, as an international partnering church with the church in Botswana, I encourage you to go back uh, to online, uh, eastpointchurch.org or .com, and uh, the last message I did on life on mission, we talked about go, I explained uh, in more detail what we're doing and why we're doing it. Well, let me just tell you a couple things. One, thank you for praying for me. Two, the trip, and it sounds overstated to put it this way, but it exceeded my expectations, and I am so grateful for what God has begun to do there. Uh, The intent uh, in these early uh, times there in the country Botswana is to work with the church. And when I say the church, I mean the church, capital C, the church in Botswana. Uh, my very first meeting there on Saturday when I showed up, uh, I spent about three days in Rwanda with, all church, uh, with the All-African gathering of pastors, and then went to Botswana, which is the country just north of South Africa. Uh, it's kind of landlocked around four countries, but uh, when I showed up and uh, had my first meeting with the leaders, there were about 14, 15 of them, uh, it was apparent to me that God has, was just blessing this, that God's hand was all over it of the leaders of three different, uh, in fact, the three Christian organizations in the country. Not just in the capital, in the country were all there. Uh, The Evangelical Association, the uh, Mainline Association, and the Indigenous Church Association. All the the presidents and the leaders, and the vice presidents, and uh, the the key leaders in those groups were part of that first meeting where I shared the the, uh, oversight, the uh, mission, the uh, big picture idea of what we would love to do as an IPC, as an international partnering church helping them become purpose-driven and to teach them a purpose-driven model. And it's been uh, extremely well-received. I cannot tell you how excited I was just to hear these men, these ladies uh, say, we need this, we want this. 74%, 75% of the nation of Botswana, only about 2 million residents, countries the size of Texas, but 74, 75% uh, claim to be Christ followers. But they, the church would tell you that that is a name only, that a large percentage of them have no meaningful, viable relationship with God. They might have grown up in the church, they might have been baptized, uh, they might show up once in a while, but the church in Botswana is not thriving, It's not healthy and not filled with disciples who are passionate about reaching the lost in their country. Uh, 30%, 35% of the, the country is under 15 years of age and it's difficult to find a lot of young people in the church in Botswana today. Uh, AIDS, it's a huge issue still. You know, we don't hear about it in our media anymore. It's not a big deal, hot button in our current media, but it's it's, at epidemic proportions still on the continent of Africa and in Botswana as well. And then poverty is still a big issue. The country, Botswana, is one of the wealthiest and fastest growing economies on the continent. Lots of natural resources, but uh, there's still quite a disparity. A lot of poor, very poor people in that country, a lot of street kids. So the church recognizes they need to change, not the message, not the the gospel, but they need to change their methods if they're gonna be effective at uh, uh, being disciple makers in their country. And they've asked us, not just me, but us as a church, to partner with them. And we, guys, this is what's cool about this. We're partnering with the church, the entire church in Botswana, thousands of pastors and churches uh, that we're gonna have the ability to impact. And the plan is, over the next 15 months, I'm gonna go back uh, five more times, gonna teach them uh, and will take some people with me to teach the, the purpose-driven model. And then once that's trained, and I'll be working with trainers to become trainers in the nation, then we'll be taking lots of you, teams. I said uh, when we talked about Life on Mission and Go that my goal is to have 80% of our church go on a cross-cultural mission trip at some point in the next 10 years. We're still very involved in Guatemala. That's, that's uh, very important to me to us. We will continue to work there, but we're adding now uh, the country of Botswana and it's an incredible opportunity. So keep praying uh, and begin to pray about what God might want you to do and be a part of it. So I'm excited, it's good to be home though. Well, uh, we're starting a brand new series today. Uh, called find, Finding Answers in the Hard Times. Finding Answers in the Hard Times. It's gonna take us right up to Easter. Uh, part one today, we're gonna to talk about why God, the issue of why. We'll be in Romans chapter five. If you've got your Bible or your Bible app, please open to Romans the fifth chapter and I'll get there in just a bit. This coming Wednesday, on the 15th, uh, would have been my grandson Phineas's ninth birthday. Uh, most of you know, uh, you've heard the stories, you've read it in my book, my first book, that uh, he only lived for about an hour. Uh, before he went to be with Jesus. And without a doubt, uh, one of the hardest, most difficult things that our family's ever gone through. Uh, I'm at the age now uh, where I'm beginning to lose aunts and uncles, and my grandparents have been long gone. Uh, And we've we've gone through loss, just like every family has. But losing uh, my second grandchild and my first grandson uh, almost nine years ago, uh, to this day, has been one of the most difficult and heart-wrenching things I've ever gone through. And, you know, I'm very honest. Uh, if you're new, by the way, I met somebody in the first service and I introduced myself, and they said, you're the senior pastor. They, for three weeks, other people have been teaching, and, and so they had no idea who I was, which is cool. By the way, did our teaching team do a great job while I was gone? I mean, yeah, give it up for these guys. They did an amazing job. But um, the, the thing with Phineas is, is that I struggled for months after that, and I asked the question a lot of us ask, why? Why, God? I don't understand this. And quite frankly, I still have unanswered questions. I probably never will have answers on this side of eternity, but I've learned some things in the journey as well, and I've begun to understand that there's a bigger picture involved and there's other things God wants to do and can do and we'll surrender our life, our situation, even our hard times to him. Just as a point of encouragement, I wanna ask you a question. How many of you have found yourself in a hard and difficult place wondering why God? Come on, be honest. How many of you, yeah, most if not all of us. And if you haven't been there yet, Quite frankly, you probably will be at some point. Sometimes, and perhaps more often than we expect, we find ourselves in a place between, what I say, sunset and sunrise. It's a dark place. A place where we wonder, how did I get here? We wonder, where is God? What is going on? It's a place of confusion and sometimes despair where we really struggle with, God, why do you seem so distant right now? Why do the heavens seem so silent? The young couple. Loves each other deeply, and all they want is a child. But over the years, uh, they, they keep going by. The crib remains empty, and they, and they wonder, why? Why God? A 30-something-year-old single woman longs to be married. All she wants is a godly husband. And year after year, her wedding dreams get uh, more distant, seem harder and harder, and the dream begins to die. And she asks, why? Why God? An enterprising and energetic young man decides to start a business, and he's encouraged by his friends. Even his bank says, great idea. We'll help you. But things don't go as expected and the dream dies. And he asks, why, why God? Or maybe you're in a situation like my mom was when I was a young man in my early 20s where you've loved and invested in your child, you've done your best to raise your son or your daughter and what the scriptures say, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You've done your best to raise them up to love Jesus. But they hit their teenage years or in my case, the early adult years and they walk away from God. And they're far from God, maybe they're still far from God and many a nights you've cried and you've wondered, God, why, why? I could go on. I could give you lots of other illustrations and examples of the struggle that many of us face. For the record, the Bible chronicles the stories of many people who find themselves in a difficult and impossible place. One of the things I love about the Bible is that it doesn't gloss over anything. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. It doesn't give us just the highlights of people's lives. It doesn't, it doesn't make everybody look like they had it all together and they never had any struggles. We see over and over throughout the Scriptures, story after story, people will go through a great emotional upheaval where they have way more questions than answers and they struggle with difficult times, hard times. We see it Old and New Testament. The Apostle Paul went through lots of struggle himself, but he wrote these words. I had you turn to Romans 5. Let's take a look at Romans 5, verse 3 and 4. Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, honestly, and again, I'm going to be real with you. I really don't like that verse, not at all. I would really rather not rejoice in my sufferings, thank you very much. And if you like that verse, if you get all excited and giddy about the verse, then you're not normal. It's, it's, it's normal to go, yeah, I don't know about this thing about rejoicing in our sufferings, what does that mean? But here's something we need to know. In fact, it's the big idea if you want to take notes on the back side of your bulletin this morning. That challenging place of turmoil, trouble, and trial can become the fertile soil for spiritual growth. That place of darkness and struggle and hardship, that place of turmoil, trouble, and trial can become the fertile soil for spiritual growth. See, what God does in us and through us in those seasons of darkness is the point. It's the point. We can grow. We can become stronger. And the truth is we can find God in our wilderness. We can find him in that place that we never thought he would be. We can find him in those difficult seasons of hardship, as much as I hate it and sometimes don't understand it. And again, I'm being honest with you. That barren place can have a purpose and some pretty amazing results in me and in you if we see it for what it truly is, if we see it for what it really is, the fertile soil for growth and our emotional and spiritual development. Fertile soil. Now I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, uh, Bubna, you say fertile soil. I'm thinking manure. And I I, I get that. I understand. You're not necessarily thinking fertile soil sounds good. The other doesn't sound so good. I understand. It's not easy. It's not fun. But I do believe it it is a place where we can grow. Today, we're going to focus on the why. We're going to take a look at the why. Why? Just at least a few of the potential reasons why we sometimes find ourselves in hard places. In the weeks to come in this series, again, it takes us right up to Easter, we're gonna take a look at uh, other stories. Next week, very excited about next week. We're gonna take a look at one of my favorite stories, the story of Joseph. And we're gonna consider what do you do when the unexpected happens and when the dream dies? We've all been there. We'll take a look at Moses, the life of Moses, and how to, how to walk through and deal with poor choices. Moses made some poor choices. What do we do in the event of that? Or how do we deal with disappointment and despair? David who's one of the great kings of Israel, one of the great you know, men of God. God says, he's close to my heart. It's a matter for my own heart. David struggled with disappointment and despair. We're going to take a look at those stories and some others and, and, and consider how. What do we do? But before we go to the what and the how of finding answers in the hard times, I think it's real important that we consider the why. My personal belief is when we face challenge, it's the smart person, the smart thing to do is is before we try to figure out how to get through it, it's good to stop and say, time out. Okay, why is this happening? What am I supposed to learn here? What purpose could this ever have in this struggle? So there's some realities about hardships I want us to talk about today. And again, the backside of your bulletin, here's number one. The first reality, you're not there because God has abandoned or forgotten you. Listen to me. You are not there because God has abandoned or forgotten you. Matt, Pastor Matt mentioned this last week. I know the tendency that we have when we go through difficult times. When things are not going the way we want or the way we expect, we begin to doubt God. I know because I've been there. We doubt God, we question his goodness and his plans. We become so myopic, so narrowly focused that that things are not going the way we want, the way we thought, and so we begin to question the presence or the power of God, or both. God, are you here? Are you with me? God, are you able to help me in this situation? God, have you forgotten me? We struggle. We begin to doubt him. Because our plans are interrupted and our expectations are unmet, we all too often, too often jump to a conclusion, well, either there is no God or he doesn't care about me. Either there is no God or he's ignoring me and doesn't care. I have a good friend. I haven't talked to him for many, many years, but... Uh, back when I was in LA a long time ago. He was a guy in our church, he was an elder in our church, loved God, uh, was passionate about his relationship with Jesus. Had a son who uh, was 16 or 17 years of age, and he was killed in an auto accident by a drunk driver. Now I understood my friend's grief, and I shared in his struggle with the why. I understood, I had empathy. But I I was disappointed, I was heartbroken to see that he turned his back and walked away from God. Because I'm going to put it to you this way, and it's, it's, I know it's not easy, and I know it may sound a little harsh. But guys, our faith has got to be bigger than our ability to understand everything that happens along the way. Our faith in God has got to be bigger. We've got to be able to say, God, I'm limited in my perspective, limited in my ability to see. I don't know everything. I don't see everything. And that's where faith is tested and where we must come to the point where we say, and yet, I will entrust my life to you. I will believe in you. I will follow you. I will follow you. I said it before. We live in a broken world with lots of broken people. And because of that, really bad things happen. People choose to sin. They sin against us. They sin against others. And I don't think it's reasonable for a second to blame God for the sinful choices of people. Well, if God was God, then he wouldn't let people make stupid choices. Well, remember, God chose to give us this thing called free will. He didn't create us to be robots, to be machines who always do the right thing just because we're programmed that way to do it. He gave you and me a choice. Will you believe, follow, and trust your life and follow his ways, or will you go your own path, your own way, and make stupid, foolish, hurtful choices? We live in a broken world. Have you read the news? Have you looked at the news? A broken world with lots of broken people who do really broken, harmful, stupid things. And that's why God sent his son to redeem us. That's why we have hope in him. But it's important for us to understand that sometimes things happen that that are not God's fault, but they're just the world that we live in. But in the midst of that, listen to me, in the midst of that, it's important that we remember that we are not alone, that you are not forgotten, you are not abandoned by God. God. Never, ever has he abandoned or forgotten you. My wife and I this last week went and saw The Shack, and I know there's controversy over the book. Get over it, people. It's a, it's, a, it's a book that's not a theology book, it's a story. It's a story about forgiveness and redemption and about Papa God and his love for us. And I, you know, the movie's not exactly the way the book was, I, and Paul Young, the author, is a friend of mine. In fact, I talked to him this last week, saying I saw the movie and I wept, Paul. And he said lots of people are saying the same thing. They're weeping through the movie. But the thing I need you to understand is that one of the things you get out of that movie, and it's powerful, is that Papa says to, to Mackenzie, I never left you. I never abandoned you. That's the way we feel. I get that's what we struggle with, but the truth is, the reality is, we are never alone. Hebrews 13, 5, promise from God says, God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, never is a long time. Jesus, then what we call the Great Commission, Matthew 28 said, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You can tell I memorized King James when I was a kid, huh? Jesus said, I'm with you. I'm with you always, even to the very end. Listen, life is hard sometimes. I know it's hard. I don't like the fact that it's really, really difficult, that it sucks sometimes. I get that. Life is hard, but we've got to remember that we are not alone. And it's important that we remember that because if we think we're alone, if we think God's abandoned us, then we will not turn to him in our desperation. We will not turn to him when we need him most. He's with you. Listen, he's with you. You may not feel him, you may not see him, but he's there, even in the dark, working. First reality is that we're not alone. Here's the second one, number two. You are in that hard place for a reason. You are in that difficult place for a reason. Again, we don't like to hear this. And I'm gonna give you a couple of reasons, suggest a couple to you in just a moment. But I want you to begin to broaden your perspective a little bit and to begin to think, maybe there's something else going on. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe I need to get down again to get the why. My life verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. I've shared that many times before. And uh, what's a life verse? Well, it's something I just picked because God's used it multiple times in my life to transform me, to encourage me to, to really build my faith. In Jeremiah 29, 11, many of you know it, it says, I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for good and not evil to give you a future and a hope Jeremiah 29:11 God says I know he does the plans he has them I have for you they're plans for good not evil to give you a future and a hope Now I get that that verse was written to the Israelites people go well that's not for us that's written to the Jews The Old Testament was written to the Jews and about the Jews but there are principles there, there's the character of God there that we can understand. And in that verse, we see the character, the nature, the purposes of God. God says, I know what I'm doing, I have a plan for you. Those words were written to the Israelites, by the way, when they were in exile in Babylon in a miserable, horrible place. In the midst of great darkness, a season, decades of horrible darkness, God came to them and said, I've got a plan. I know what I'm doing. It's a plan for good and not evil, to give you something to hold on to. And What is called uh, this in the Song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15, here's another great verse, Exodus 15, verse 13. It says, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Love this verse. It says, God, in your unfailing, unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. There's a promise, I'll get you there and in your strength. Whose strength? In his strength. God will guide them to the place that he wants us to be. Again, I know this is for the Israelites, but it shows us this principle of God's guidance in our lives. His unfailing love, and it's in his unfailing love that he leads. It's in his strength that he guides. And even when we blow it, the Israelites blew it. They were in captivity in Babylon because they sinned. Even when we're struggling because we blew it, the hope that we can have is that God still has a plan for our lives, and that He will never give up on us, and He will get us where we need to be. So I said, "There's some reasons. Let me give you a couple." First one, letter A in your outline. You may be there in trouble because of your sin. You may be in that difficult place because you've made some poor choices, and there are consequences for our choices. The Bible teaches that we reap what we sow. Galatians six seven. Write it down. Look at it later. The Bible teaches that there are natural consequences. We sow, we reap. We make a choice and there are consequences. Now, here's the good news. That doesn't mean that we are hopelessly lost in a mess. God is able to redeem and restore and renew our lives when we surrender our lives to him. Because we all fail, we all sin. All of us do, me included. I was doing some writing last night and I I started um, doing the math a little bit. Tomorrow, I turn 60 years of age. I know I don't look like it, huh? Okay, thank you, Charlie. I made me about 22,000 days old, 22,000. So I started doing the math. Let's just assume, for the sake of example, that on average I've sinned three to five times a day over 22,000 days. And I'm think, "Oh no, Kurd, you're much older than that. Keep in mind what's sin. Sin's missing the mark. Anytime I'm not perfect, I sin. So I say something I shouldn't say. I think something I shouldn't think. I do something I shouldn't do. I don't do something I should do. I don't have faith. I act in fear. I mean, the list goes on and on. Then the Bible says that's missing the mark. That's sin. So I think it's easy to figure that probably in those 22,000 days, three to five times per day I've, made a, I've, I've failed, that that puts me near 100,000 sins in my life. I'm amazing, huh? I'm an overachiever. hundred thousand. Now, some of you are thinking, uh, I think, I know you, Kurt, it's probably way higher than that. <laughs> and some of you I know, and your number's probably way higher than mine. <laughs> but here's the good news. We're not hopelessly messed up. God never abandons us. He knows that we fail. From Abraham in the Old Testament to Peter. Lots of people in between. We see a history of failure in the Word. Again, it's one of the reasons why I love the Bible is that we see real people going through real stuff, making real stupid mistakes. But we also see a God who, in the midst of failure, when people say, okay, God, I surrender this to you, I failed, when we repent, when we turn around, when we surrender our lives to him, God promises to redeem and restore us. Jeremiah fifteen nineteen. listen to this. Jeremiah 15, 19, this is what the Lord says. It's not me, it's what the Lord says. If you repent, I will restore you. Isn't that a great promise? But notice there, there's a condition. We need to repent. I want to be a really, 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 really good repenter in my life. I sin, I make regular stupid choices, but I want to be the guy who constantly says, okay, God, I repent, I turn to you, I surrender my life to you. You know, according to Hebrews chapter 12, and again, I don't have the time to go there, Hebrews chapter 12 says that God disciplines those whom he loves. Another passage that none of us get terribly excited about. But we ought to understand this. When we discipline our children, it's supposed to be because we want to mold, shape, and help them become the men and women that God wants them to become. We don't do it because we're mean, hopefully, or because we're just mad, hopefully. We don't do it just to abuse them. We discipline them to help them grow. We mold, shape, carve them so that they can become great men and women of God. The Bible says that that's what God does as a father for us that he disciplines those whom he loves. He allows pain in our lives, or sometimes even allows situations, in order to save us or to rescue us. He wants to purge and purify us, our souls and our hearts, so that we can become everything he wants us to become. I love the way author Jeff Mannion puts it. He says, discipline is the activity of inflicting pain for redemptive purposes. Let me say it again. Discipline is the activity of inflicting pain. Why? for redemptive purposes. How many of you are training for Bloomsday right now? Let me see your hands. Two of you? (laughs) We need to work on something around here, I'm thinking. There wasn't one in the first service and that service was pretty full. So, okay, well, just for the sake of example, let's pretend we're getting ready to run Bloomsday. Is getting in shape fun? No. Does it hurt? Oh, yeah. It can be, especially when you go from couch potato to trying to run whatever it is, seven miles. It's painful. Getting in shape is painful. We understand that though. Okay, I know this really it's not fun and this is hurting and tomorrow I'm gonna hurt even more and, and two days afterwards I'm gonna have all this lactic acid still going through my system and I'm gonna be in, in severe pain and I'm gonna hate my life and hate my body, but I keep going because I know that there's a purpose. I have a goal. It's helping me. I'm getting stronger, I'm getting better. We all understand. We'll, we'll only embrace pain and physical sense when we're trying to get in shape because we know it serves a greater and helpful purpose. Can I just suggest to you, sometimes the pain we're going through is the discipline of God. And we need to embrace it and let him change us. We need to be trained in righteousness. We need to let that work purge the garbage out of our souls. And we need to understand that God does it because he loves us, because he has our best interest in mind. So sometimes... Let's be honest, it's because we fail, we sin, we blow it. Here's another reason, number B, letter B, letter B. <clears throat> you may be in a tough time because God wants to prepare you for what is ahead. You might be in a difficult, really hard place because God is preparing you for greatness, for, for what is ahead. Now, let me be clear about this. Sometimes the struggle we go through has absolutely nothing to do with sin. In fact, I wanna make this clear. Please do not judge people around you. You see somebody going through a hard time, do not be the person who says, oh, they must really, God's disciplining them. Look at that, they must have a lot of sin in their life because look at how messed up and broken things are. Don't be that, that's not your job. You don't get to judge that. You don't get to determine that. Don't make that assumption. Often, our pain has nothing to do with sin and everything to do with God working, trying to form in us the image of his son. Look again at Romans five, verse three and four. We rejoice in our sufferings. If it was due to sin, Paul would not say, we rejoice. Do you understand? We rejoice in our sufferings because we know, do you know, we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Paul writes there's this process that God puts us through. We go through struggle. We go through this hardship. Suffering, he calls it. But if we stay the course, we develop character and perseverance. And perseverance brings this, this depth of character, this, this person out of the inside of us that is more like God. And character always results in hope. And as I've said many, many times before, hope in the New Testament is never, well, I hope so. Hope in the New Testament is a confident expectation. One says we have hope means we have this confident expectation that God is doing something great. Most of us, me included, have what I call an internal trial avoidance system. An internal trial avoidance system. It's kind of like our anti-lock system in our cars, except different. And what that internal trial avoidance system does in our brains is the second, the nanosecond we sense pain, we alter our course. We do everything we can to avoid it. Why? Well, because, quite frankly, the easy path is, here it is, this is brilliant. Easier. Deep, huh? We avoid it because we don't want to go there. We think that the easy path is always the better path path for us, but can I again suggest to you that's not always true. Sometimes the hard path is the better path. Sometimes the the route, the path we would never, ever, 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 ever choose on our own is exactly what we need so that the dross can be removed from our souls, so that the rough edges of our lives can be formed and shaped, so that we can be molded into the image of God's Son. So I think we need a major attitude adjustment when it comes to trials. Paul says, rejoice. I didn't make this up. It's the Bible. And it's just, James said the same thing. We rejoice in our sufferings. We need a major attitude adjustment. I want to suggest that we embrace the struggle and we look to grow through it. Now resist, I know. Pray for God's healing. Pray for intervention. Pray for God to do miracles. Of course, all of that's necessary. Yes, yes, yes. Keep on praying. Keep on believing. Keep on fighting. But there's another part of us that has to say, but and yet I will embrace whatever God is trying to do in me in the midst of this hard time. As someone wise once said, attitudes are like diapers. The stinky ones need to be changed. And I want to suggest if you've got a stinky attitude about trials, you need to change it. It would be better for you to say, God, I don't like this. I would not choose this. However, I believe in you. I believe in you. And I'll put my hope and my confidence in you. Here's the last bullet in your outline, last Last statement there. God leads us through the place we most want to avoid in order to produce the growth in us we most desperately need. God leads you to a place at times that you would want to avoid at all costs in order to produce growth in you that you most desperately need. I don't know why we humans are this way, but we tend to grow best in the struggle. We tend to grow best through the difficult times you might be in a very hard place right now. And if you are, I care, I will pray for you, I have empathy, I'm standing with you. But I need you to understand that God may have you there because he wants you to become something greater than you are and to fulfill something that he has destined you for from the beginning. So we need to remember that place where we feel abandoned, clueless, lost, and afraid is often very fertile ground for spiritual transformation in our lives. It's a place where we can become angry, resentful, bitter, or better. And the choice is ours, bitter or better. We can waste the weeks, the months, the decades of our lives spent wishing we were somewhere else, anywhere else, or we can embrace the experience and grow through it, not just go through it. And I wanna tell you today, the choice is yours. I sincerely believe that God is with us there in that barren wilderness. That he will walk with us, and he will hold us. And it's also a place where, in the dark, sometimes God does his deepest work. You know, we're just a few weeks away from Easter. Can I remind you that what God did in the dark, in the dark tomb, is he resurrected his son. Sometimes God does his deepest, best work in a very dark place. Why? because he wants to lead us, he wants us to grow, he wants us to become more like him. One last story, we're gonna finish with a song of worship. This um, last Wednesday, I finished this talk, sent it off to the staff, I was working in my home office, sent them a message notes so they could get the outline going and get things ready. And um, I was gonna come down here at four o'clock meeting, so I had my suit, yes, I do own a suit, and uh, when I'm in Botswana, I have to speak in a suit. Culturally, that's what's expected. So, I mean, I, I, it's warm. It's, they don't have air-conditioned buildings. And I am in a suit and tie. Seven times I've spoken for five days, four days. And I was in a suit and tie every one. So I got home. And let's just say that my suit was in dire need. In fact, it would have stood on its own if I had just let it stand. It, it was desperately needed to be dry cleaned. So I took it to the dry cleaner. And I dropped it off. And I got my car, I was in a hurry because I had a four o'clock meeting down here. get in my car and I put it in reverse and I'm backing up and I'm using my little backup mirror. I got this little thing, you know, those, those cool things. And I'm looking at that and all of a sudden I hear this. In fact, this is what happened. I got a picture, I'll show you what happened. Yeah, I did that to the back corner panel of the passenger side of my car. And so I pull forward and I knew exactly what had happened and I looked and the car that I did that on was like this 1920 completely steel truck, I mean, old truck, with a massive steel bumper, didn't do a thing to that truck. I did go in, I'm a Christian, I walked into the store, and said, anybody own that big old ugly truck out there? I didn't say that. But anybody own that truck? And they go, yeah, me, and they rushed out, you know, to see what damage i have done. And he looks, he looks at my car, he looks at his car, he looks at my car, he says, you hit me? I go, yeah. Moral of that story is, we get way better gas mileage, but our cars are made of plastic now and the old trucks with the steel bumpers, I, not a scratch on his car, not a scratch. <sighs> so I get in my car and my first thought was not a very godly thought. In fact, the first words that came to my mind were not very godly words. But like 2.2 nanoseconds later, the Holy Spirit says, Psst, you know that message you just wrote? time for you to practice what you preach, boobna. <laughs> okay. But you know, instantly I realized, all right, what I have chosen to do this, what is, is this, my idea? Well, let's ding my car so I can show a picture and really g- have a great story to finish the message with today. Nope, not my plan at all. But I had a choice. I could change my attitude. I could embrace the struggle and say, okay, God, what is it you want to teach me in this? It cost me 500 bucks. Uh, my deductible, but what is it you want me to learn through this experience? When you go through a hard time, it's a good thing to stop and say, God, what are you doing? Why am I here? Is it me? Is it my sin, my choice? Or is it you just trying to develop something in me? God, I wanna grow, I wanna grow. Guys, let me pray for you. Jesus, I am <laughs> so glad, so grateful that you understand our struggle you walked on this earth, you faced the trials, the temptations, you had a difficult life, and there wasn't, there wasn't anything about what you went through, even on the cross, Lord, that it compares to, to what, what uh, some of us have gone through. We think it's horrible, and yet, Jesus, you were beaten and crucified and died. You get struggle, you get what it means to be in a dark place. And so we come to you, Jesus, this morning. I don't know the stories of everyone in this room or those watching online, but I know this. I know you know intimately the details of their life. You know what they're facing right now. You know what they need right now. And God, I pray that somehow in the way that only the Holy Spirit can do, that you would shift our attitude, that you would shift our perspective this morning, that we would... Uh, look and say, okay, God, is there something I've done? Is this a sin I need to repent of? Or that we would look and say, God, I don't get this, and I don't think there's any sin, but what do you want me to learn through this? What, how can I grow? How can I become more like you? And that you would do that in our hearts today, that we would leave here willing to embrace the struggle and to, willing to change. Keep your head bowed, your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today, and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. But something's happened this morning. You just realize, Wow, I need God, I need a Savior, I need Jesus, I need forgiveness. And you get it, there's just something happened in your mind, your heart, maybe during worship, maybe during the word today, maybe just before you even got here, you you were primed, you're ready, you know that this is the moment for you to say yes to God to begin your life as a Christ follower. I'm not gonna do anything to embarrass you. And like John mentioned, since Christmas, over 80 people have made a decision here at East point, to say yes to Jesus. So you'll be in good company. But it's a decision that will literally change the course of your life. It'll change your destiny. It'll change your eternity. Because it's embracing what Jesus did for you on that cross. Admitting you need a Savior. Admitting that he died for you and your sins. And, and believing that he lives now for you. And that he's inviting you into a relationship with him. If you want that today, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now. And this prayer is just to, to help you make That choice. If this is what you want, you just make my prayer yours right now. From your heart, pray this. Father, I need Savior, I need a Savior, I need Jesus, I need forgiveness, I need mercy, I need grace, I need new life. I get it. Jesus, you came for me, you died for me, now you live for me, so I wanna live for you. I wanna live for you. And so right here, right now, I'm choosing to say yes to your offer of grace and mercy of eternal life. To say, yes, I will follow you. Yes, I will be your child. Yes, I'm yours. I surrender my life to you. Now, if that's you, if that's what you want, in your own heart, in your own way to say, yep, God, that's me, that's what I want. And the Bible says that instant, that moment you say yes to him, you become his child. We say it all the time around here. It's not the finish line. It's the beginning, but it's the beginning of a journey that will take you from here into eternity with the father as his kid, as his child now forever. Lord, for those are saying yes to you, embracing you, burn that reality, that that truth in their souls that they now belong to you, that they're yours forever. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll stand together. We're going to finish with one of my favorite songs, and it's a song of hope. Some of you are going to sing this for the first time today. Those of you who just made that decision. This is your declaration. But all of us need to declare our hope, our trust in him. Let's worship together. And I'll come back and wrap it up love that song. I love the hope that we have in him. Today, if you begin your life as Christ follower, I encourage you to tell somebody. Come tell me. We want to walk with you in this journey. Uh, in the baskets, by the doors, there's a Bible, some get starting to walk with Jesus. Pick one of these up. Watch for our next First Steps class. It's designed for you. It's like 45 minutes during a service, and you need to go through that. We're doing water baptisms on Easter Sunday. I'm so excited about that. I want you to sign up to get baptized in the water as well. Prayer team would be down front if uh, you need prayer today. Communion is always available both sides of the room. I'll stop by and see uh, ladies, uh, 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 treat sort of the women in the back to get signed up for Project Hope. And uh, boy, I hope you come back next week because when you take a look at Joseph, uh, what, to do, what to do when a dream dies. I, it's one of my favorite stories and I think it'll be greatly encouraging to you. It's good to be home. I love you guys. Thanks for being here today. And uh, the last thing I want to say is go Seahawks. I don't know why. Bye-bye.